Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And we finished our Medici series a while back, but we're still getting mail about it about this illustrious scheming clan of bankers and statesmen. Y'all really, really love the Medici. And Helen in Mississippi sent us a note saying, you might be interested to hear that new Italian research published in the American Journal of Medicine shows there were at least two fewer violent deaths in the Medici family than previously thought. Wait, tell me more. So it's pretty awesome already, but it gets better because the more we looked into those two particular deaths, that of Grand Duke Francesco I de Medici and his wife, the Grand Duchess, the weirder it all got. And despite dying more than 400 years ago, the couple was the subject of another recent scientific paper, this one published in the British Medical Journal, which also explored their cause of death, but came up with a different answer. So we'll talk more about those medical studies later. But first, because suspicious deaths are so often preceded by controversial lives, our story will start in Venice with a beautiful young girl named Bianca. Bianca Capello was born in 1548 to a noble Venetian family. She makes the first bold move of her life when she elopes with Florentine Pietro Buonaventuri, and they have a daughter together, Virginia. But she's not in Florence for long before she becomes the mistress of Francesco I. And he is the son and heir of Cosimo I, which uh, makes him heir to the Grand Dukedom of Tuscany. But since Francesco doesn't want to do anything to mess with his chances of becoming Grand Duke, he and Bianca keep things on the down low until at least her husband mysteriously dies in 1561. Mysterious death, number one. Yeah, keep track of these, guys. So really, people do not want Francesco to be with Bianca, though. Everyone is against it. His family, his people, the Habsburg emperor. And you might be wondering, well, what does he have to do with it? He actually should have some major sway since he's Francesco is a good Grand Duke and should be a good servant to the emperor. It reminds me of Lola Montez, how yeah. everyone was so anti. Did not like the mistress. But Francesco doesn't seem to care about anyone else's opinions. He does marry Joanna of Austria and becomes Grand Duke in 1574, but he sticks with Bianca. And just to give you a little background on Francesco, he's got this really, really weird family, but he's a pretty smart guy. He's not terribly interested in politics, unlike most Medici we know, and he'd much prefer to be working on alchemy or patronizing the arts. But in case you think that their very unpopular relationship is the only sketchy thing going on in this family. In, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. It's pretty tame, actually, because in 1576, Francesco's brother Pietro murders his wife the same year that Francesco's sister is murdered by her husband. So, like we said, this family is crazy. And who knows, maybe after a few violent murders in his immediate family, Francesco is facing his own mortality. He needs a male heir, and so far his wife Joanna has only had girls. And we have a little note we'd like to make here about this being a choose-your-own-ending podcast. Yeah, there's so many different sources that say so many different things about these people. It's really strange. It's kind of 
Like Marie, Marie Laveau. Laveau. Exactly. And I'll try to make it clear when there's a lot of controversy, but this is actually one place. The number of children that Francesco and Joanna have together, as well as those children's sexes. For example, the excellent Medici archive, which I would advise any of you big Medici fans to check out for cool letters and such written by the family. The Medici archive has them having six girls followed by one boy, while the American Medical Journal article that we mentioned says seven sons, which seems kind of unlikely since it would make the rest of the story rather pointless. One offspring we should definitely all make note of, though, is Marie de' Medici, who is Joanna and Francesco's daughter, and she closed out our earlier super series. She's kind of why these people are still famous, because she's pretty famous. But back to our story. It's 1576, and Francesco needs a son. So he makes an offer his mistress can't refuse. Give him a son, and when his sickly wife finally dies, he'll marry her and make her Grand Duchess. And according to Eleanor Herman's very wonderful book, Sex with Kings, the story proceeds in a rather romantic, comedy-like fashion from there. So Bianca knows that she won't get pregnant, or at least she doesn't want to risk waiting. So she gets an accomplice to pick out three impoverished single pregnant women. She houses and feeds them through their pregnancies, telling Francesco she's pregnant. She's padding her clothes. And for all you Arrested Development fans out there, we're thinking Maggie Lizer. Two of the women end up having girls. We have to imagine Bianca would be really getting a little nervous here, but the third fortunately has a boy, which is quickly whisked off to the palace where Bianca goes into labor. (laughs) Quote, unquote. Yeah, so they sneak the baby into the bed with the dramatically in labor Bianca. She was apparently very good at faking it. And suddenly, look, Francesco, you have a male heir. Hooray. And the proud parents name their baby Antonio, and no one's really the wiser. But in a turn that had to have shaken Bianca, who has gone to all this trouble and probably considerable expense housing these women, not long after Antonio is born, Joanna finally has a son, Filippo. But Joanna dies pretty soon after that, and Francesco at last marries his mistress only two months after his wife dies. Not a classy move. No, in the secret ceremony. He makes it public a year later. He crowns her at the Palazzo Vecchio. And the people didn't like this couple when it was just a grand duke and his mistress. They really, really don't like that Bianca is now grand duchess. And this may be the best part. Her position secure, Bianca eventually fesses up to Francesco about this baby swap, calling it a fun joke she's played on him. Just she to make him happy. Not trying to deceive him or anything, but isn't it hilarious? Haha, how we got this baby. But surprisingly, there isn't that big of a deal made of it. He already has a son. But then his son with Joanna dies, and Francesco legitimizes his son with Bianca on October 19th, 1583, and starts paving the way for him to become his heir. And again, this seriously sounds like a romantic comedy. Perfect romantic comedy. So it's not going to be a romantic comedy for the rest of the story. Sorry, folks. It's time to get back to the controversy. It's a drama. No, it's a drama, ultimately. Obviously, Francesco's real heir, who is his brother, Cardinal Ferdinando, is not so thrilled about this development. And 
he's not a fan of Bianca. Pretty much no one is. And he doesn't want this mistress's son taking his place. So when Ferdinando visits the couple at the Medici Villa at Paggio Aicayano, the couple falls ill only a few weeks later. And people are kind of suspicious. After all, these are the Medici. They're the Medici and they don't really like each other. Eleven days later, Francesco and Bianca are both dead and Ferdinando is the new Grand Duke, not his young nephew, Antonio. But we have to go back to that amazing baby swap story. There's another theory about that. Most sources agree that Antonia was probably swapped as an infant and bore no relation to either parent, so it's not terribly surprising that he wasn't able to succeed his father's throne as a boy. He's a commoner's bastard. But biographer Filippo Luti challenges that story. He suggests that it was Ferdinando who concocted the tale as a way to secure his own hold on the throne. So, he lied to little Antonio and said that he was swapped as a baby and he wasn't the real heir, but perhaps he was. So Ludi's theory goes like this. Worried that he had been supplanted as heir, Cardinal Fernando poisons Bianca immediately after Francesco's death, and he takes the Grand Ducal throne and persuades his boy nephew that he's not really a Medici at all. And to play nice, he gives the child major properties, convinces him to join the Knights of Malta, which, interestingly enough, is a group where members are unable to form legal marriages. So you wouldn't, huh. you wouldn't have to worry about him having some descendants of his own. So this sounds pretty plausible, I think. But on the other hand, so does the story of the mistress who would try to pass off a baby as her own to secure her position and become Grand Duchess. And just to give you a little more on Antonio's life, after fighting the Turks in Hungary, he goes on to play Medici patron in Florence, supporting Galileo and eventually alienating himself from the court. So that's the end of the story for our basket baby. But we need to go back to Ferdinando, Francesco, and Bianca. And the medical controversy that surrounds their death. So Francesco and Bianca die within hours of each other in October 1587. They have this agonizing illness that stretches on for days. They undergo immediate autopsies, and the official cause of death listed at the time is malaria. So it's not long before whisperings of poison start at court, especially considering how much everyone knows Ferdinando dislikes Bianca and wants the throne for himself. So this is an old theory, the poison theory, and it's been investigated in a lot of different ways over the years. In 2006, scientists at the University of Florence and the University of Pavia published a paper for the British Medical Journal. It said that malaria was not, in fact, the cause of death and brought back this idea that the couple died of acute arsenic poisoning. Their paper starts with some observational evidence. Cardinal Ferdinando acted strangely while the couple was ill. He dominated their medical care. He played down his brother's illness, spinning it as the result of poor eating habits, and Bianca's as grief. He tried to isolate the couple and ordered immediate autopsies, which was normal for someone in Francesco's position, but not for Bianca. And they then move on to the historical records of the illness and the autopsies. 
And the symptoms recorded by doctors sound a lot like arsenic poisoning. They don't sound like malarial fever, according to the British Medical Journal. The autopsies also look a lot like arsenic poisoning. And they make note of Francesca's exhumation, which happened centuries after his death. It is noted at the time how well preserved his body was. Arsenic can desiccate the body before and after death, setting it up for almost a state of mummification. And another thing of note, the most popular poison in the Medici era is white arsenic. I love that this is even mentioned in a medical journal paper. It's kind of great. But finally, after studying bone, hair, and tissue samples from Francesco, and tissue samples believed to be from Bianca, Bianca didn't get a very well-marked grave, you should note, the study found evidence of acute arsenic poisoning in the samples. And concentrations in the soft tissue were really high, while concentration in the bone and hair were low. And that's probably because if they did die of arsenic poisoning, it happened really quickly, not enough time for the arsenic to set in to their bones and grow out through their hair. But in June 2010, another scholarly paper came out, the one published in the American Journal of Medicine that we mentioned earlier, that was sent to us by Helen, And for this study, the scientists wanted to see if the rumors of poison and the earlier BMJ study were off and find out if the real cause of death was the one made by court physicians, malaria, which was a disease prevalent in central Italy until World War II. They obtained a cancellous bone from one of Francesco's vertebra. I guess they didn't get any from Bianca. As negative controls, they used samples from Francesco's family members, Cosimo I, who died of pneumonia, and Joan of Austria, who died in childbirth. Their other negative controls were from medieval bones outside of malarial regions, um, parts of Germany and France. And they found the presence of malaria in Francesco's samples and none in the others, and they're pretty confident about their conclusion. They say, quote, that with the use of modern methods, we provide robust evidence that Francesco I had falciparum malaria at the time of his death. Our immunologic results confirm the archival sources that describe the onset, course, and fatal outcome of the disease. Our findings also absolve Fernando I from the shameful allegation of being the murderer of his brother and sister-in-law. So, like we said, this is a choose-your-own-ending podcast. I think it's so fascinating that two respected medical journals have put out studies. We're in a feud. I know. I wonder if it is a feud. The Americans versus the Brits. Just that so many people are actually doing studies on these people who died hundreds of years ago. It's fascinating. So choose your own ending indeed and let us know what you think. And that brings us to some really fantastic listener mail. So this edition of Listener Mail involves presents, making it a super exciting edition of Listener Mail indeed. And this is Cece in Australia, and she sent us these amazing hand-knit animals. They're so cool. Katie got a narwhal, and I got an ocelot. And she wrote, I instructed them both to be on their best behavior and not fight on the journey from Australia to you. They, I think they did all right. You would not want to fight with my narwhal. That tusk is pretty intense. My ocelot has closed eyes, and I was thinking, Cece probably left these closed so that he wouldn't get injured on the way. 
And we named them after things that have come up in our recent podcast. My narwhal is named Zara from our episode on the Crusades. And my ocelot is named Antonio after today's basket baby Medici because he showed up on my desk the same day this podcast was initiated. So a big, big thank you to Cece, and we'll put up a picture of our lovely little animals on our Facebook and also on our Twitter at Mist in History. You should follow us. And if you search our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com, you can find my article on narwhals, although Sarah hasn't gotten to write one about ocelots. Not yet. yet. <laughs> and if you're not a crafty type of person, but you're a wonderful letter writer instead, you can send us an email at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 